The title of this morning's message is Truth, Love, and Lies. This morning I want to talk to you about the power of truth, love, and lies, as seen in 2 John. My beginning scripture is 2 John, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle John, also known as the Apostle of Love, says this in this teeny tiny little book of 2 John. He begins by identifying himself, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Scholars say this is either a lady pastor and her house church, or it's somebody that he simply knew personally. It depends on how you feel about lady pastors. <laughs> but it goes on. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. Within this greeting, we see the word truth four times. <laughs> So obviously, truth is the preeminent theme in this letter, along with love. I'm going to deal with the truth aspect first, and then towards the end, I'll talk about the love aspect. In this letter, the Apostle John is very concerned about the infiltration of false teachers into this little church, and warns this elect lady not to give those who teach against Jesus Christ as the Christ, or as the Son of God, the time of day. She was not to allow any speaker in their meetings who were actually anti-Christ or anti-Jesus as being the Son of God. Even though the Apostle John doesn't call these groups by name, <laughs> he does reference where these lies are coming from. They are associated with groups of belief. <laughs> these groups he's referring to are both Gnostics and Judaizers. And we can see this in verse 9. It says this, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The King James uses the word transgress instead of goes on ahead. The picture that this word paints is that of an archer who completely misses the target. I love that. You see, to sin is to miss the mark to fall short of perfection. But to transgress was to completely miss the target at all. <laughs> Went way beyond. That's what transgression under the Old Covenant was, to go way beyond what the law said was right. So that's his picture he's painting here. He says, those who aren't even anywhere near the target, <laughs> and they don't abide in the teaching of Christ. That's the point he's trying to make here. The target is always Jesus. The truth is Jesus, and they have missed him entirely. The Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus was actually God. Some of the Jews also seemed to be debating whether or not Jesus might actually be optional when it came to salvation. Now, we have to remember, during this time, Christianity is new. It had never existed before. So there are people who are coming to Christ, those who have heard of Christ, those are contemplating Accepting Christ, you have all different kinds of Jewish and pagan believers. One of the things with the Jewish believers is, well, since the Christian Jews are being persecuted and, you know, nailed to crosses, maybe we would just be better off to go back to the old way. We had salvation under the old covenant. Maybe I get to choose. 
So <laughs> they're like, believing in Jesus could cost me my life, my family, everything. Why would I do that if I can go back and just get myself a little lamb? <laughs> so there were teachers, Jewish teachers, just like there are evangelists today who taught for money. So they could have been on the fringes of, well, Jesus could be the Messiah. Maybe he is, although Rome still stands. That was a big problem for Christian Jews. Rome is still in charge. <laughs> the kingdom of God is supposed to be here. Why is Rome still in charge? So they had lots of these kinds of questions. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he really salvation? If he hasn't overtaken Rome, is he really the Messiah? Is he what, the one we were supposed to be waiting for? So both Gnostics and some Jews were basically saying Jesus isn't really necessary for salvation. You can get to the Father by going around Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the target. <laughs> you can't get to the Father apart from the Son. So the Apostle John basically tells this lady pastor, don't you dare let them preach in your house church. In fact, don't even be nice to them. Don't greet them. Don't help them. Don't bless them. Why? Because they're anti-Jesus. They're anti-Christ. They were keeping people away from the truth. Remember how he opens all this truth? <laughs> he recognizes that false teachers are actually keeping people away from Jesus. Jesus tells us that he is the truth. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, it says this. Jesus is here telling his disciples that he's going to the Father, but that he will return and take them to be where he is. I have it in the Passion Translation because it just kind of cracks me up. <laughs> it says this, don't worry or surrender to your fear. I really like that. Don't worry or surrender to your fear. For you've believed in God, now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. And you already know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Master, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus explained, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. I love the fact that the Passion Translator says it this way, no one comes next to the Father except through your union with me. Because where do we sit? in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Jesus here is really not talking about us going to heaven, although we can certainly read into it and get that from that. He is talking about him going to the cross, going into death, <laughs> being buried, and rising again, going to the Father, and coming back through the Holy Spirit so that we can, by faith, enter into that death, that burial, and that resurrection, and in spiritual reality, be seated next to the Father in Christ Jesus. The Passion Translation has a footnote where it says, I am the truth. And it says that this indicates a fuller and more complete understanding if we read it this way. I am the true reality. The true reality of God. 
Jesus is the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of the Father's person. He is the true reality when you speak about God. I looked up the word truth in the Webster's 1828 dictionary, and this is what it said. Truth is conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. In other words, truth has a corresponding reality. There's a lot of people who say that things are true that aren't. <laughs> One of the things that I find a lot online, especially with Christian believers, they're using science to get around God, even believers. And a lot of the meditation and that kind of thing, which we know biblical meditation is awesome. <laughs> you can turn on the TV screen in your mind and Jesus will show up. He wants to show himself to you. He wants to, you, to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. But those things are all based on reality and truth. Jesus is real. Holy Spirit is real. The things he shows us and tells us are real. They exist. We've never been there to heaven, but we know it's real. How do we know it's real? He told us it's real. <laughs> he told us it's real. So truth has a reality connected with it. And a lot of these modern-day meditation kinds of groups, they're saying, you don't need Jesus. You can go around. You can connect to the universe. The universe is God. You can have everything God promises you without Jesus. And because these meditation groups hook up with science, Science is learning how we function. We are heart and we are brain and we are mind. And when you know how all those things work together, you can make them work better. Science says, but you don't need a real Jesus. You can get the spirit without him. Yeah, you're going to get a spirit, all right. <laughs> it tells us Satan comes as an angel of light. He will be happy to make you feel good so that he can deceive you. Truth has a corresponding reality. When we don't accept that Jesus is the only way, we don't accept that Jesus is the Son of God, we choose blindness. See, that's what I don't like about these meditation groups, is that they purposely choose blindness. No, I will not see that Jesus is the only way to the Father. No, I don't want that. I'm going to go around Jesus. And you can't. You may have a good time. You might get some behavior modification because they're using biblical principles. <laughs> okay? And I'm not saying God doesn't show up and talk to them either because God has poured out his spirit on all flesh. God is trying to get people to Christ. Will he, by the Holy Spirit, minister to an unbeliever? Absolutely. But the whole point is to get them to Jesus so that he can have them forever. He loves them and wants them to be in him and with him forever. But even believers are sometimes choosing blindness. They want to get what they want from God without actually having to go to God to get it. <laughs> if I can use these methods to heal myself, what do I need Jesus for? If I can make myself X, Y, or Z by meditation, then why do I need Jesus? They're taking truth and they're corrupting it and saying you can have everything God promises you without relationship to Christ, which, of course, is a lie. We see this kind of blindness in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 43. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. 
Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth my words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. The Pharisees were not looking for God. They were very religious, but they were not looking for God. Jesus tells them plainly. <laughs> you search the scriptures thinking you're going to find life, but you refuse to come to me who is life itself. You think you're going to get there some other way than me. It's not going to happen. They were not looking for God. They were looking for more power and more control. They wanted to rule over Rome. They wanted a Messiah who would set up a kingdom so that they could be in charge. Not even so that the Messiah could be in charge, but so that they could be in charge. They were not looking for God. And oddly enough, Jesus did nothing that even hinted of him trying to take over the government. <laughs> you think you're looking for a military man, a general, somebody who can conquer. He says, you're actually, if you're looking for God, you're actually looking for me. And if you look in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, you will find I'm hidden there all the way along. If you were looking for me, guess what? You would have found me. You would have accepted me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no life apart from Christ. So they were not interested in that kind of a Messiah. They loved their darkness, and they hated Jesus because he is and was the truth. And he is and was, even then, still God. So Jesus is truth personified. We cannot know truth apart from him and his word. This always amazes me when we speak of truth. Years ago, when abortion first became legal, they told the young ladies, it's not a baby. It's just a little bunch of cells. It doesn't get to be a baby till much later. So we can just take out these little cells and it's not murder. Young ladies who were in distress said, oh good, <sighs> I don't have to contend with this child that's not a child yet. I can just get rid of this little bit of flesh. It's just like, you know, a little biopsy. <laughs> you just take a little part of me away and that's all it is. It wasn't true. One of the things they said back then is, if we ever, the government, if we ever find out that this is a lie, we will change it immediately because we would not want to be partakers of murder. And what do we have today? People demanding the right to kill their children. Demanding it. They're so mean and angry. <laughs> and it's like, why can't you see how wrong this is? Even after it's born, you want the right to kill it. What's wrong with this? Why can't you see this is wrong? They can't see. They love their darkness. That's the hardest thing, I think, for me, is to, because you're like, oh, if I could just show you the truth. No, just like the Pharisees. That's not the truth I want. I want my version of truth. Doesn't work. Jesus tells the disciples that they can see and understand the truth by hearing him. We see this in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. Jesus says this, Then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, 
then you are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The English word for free is the Greek word eleutheros. And according to the Strong's Concordance, it is translated free and means unrestrained, to go at pleasure, that is, as a citizen, not to be a slave. Or generally speaking, it is to be exempt from obligation or liability. It is to be truly free, to come and go as you please. This is what truth does. That's why truth is so important. Truth being Jesus and the truth also being what he has to say has the ability to set us free from the slavery of sin and the torment of deception. And it also has the ability to transform us into beloved sons and citizens of heaven while we're still here on earth. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we as believers are already delivered from all the power of the enemy. That's the truth. There is a spiritual reality where Satan was completely defeated. But how many believers are still fighting with him? <laughs> They're still taking authority over him. They're still stomping on his head. They're still binding him. Haven't we bound him enough yet? How does he keep escaping? Who keeps unbinding him? Let's get these people and make them stop. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. He is in reality defeated. We are in reality in a different kingdom. We have to understand that there is a realness to this truth. And it's only when we don't believe the realness that we get ourselves into trouble. So, Satan has no legal right to annoy us. He really doesn't. He is not our problem. The unbeliever's problem, because he, he gets to hassle them. <laughs> and unfortunately, too many believers are letting Satan hassle them. In fact, when the scripture says the truth shall make us free indeed, it, the word indeed means in actuality, in reality, in factual truth. Jesus' word and Jesus actually makes us free from all the power of sin and death, all the power of the enemy. He doesn't actually have any right to be picking on us. But if we don't know that, <laughs> we let him pick on us. We know the truth in our knower. I like this. We were talking with Miss Claudette last week. And we were talking about the Lord. And she was talking about knowing in your knower. You ever hear that? I know it in my knower. I can't really tell you where my knower is, but I know that I know what it is. <laughs> it is that unexplainable part of us, our spirit man, where we go, I don't know how I know this is true. I just know from my knower it is true. That is the Holy Spirit bears witness. And we know things that we don't even know how it is. We know them. So there is a realness in truth that changes those of us who embrace the truth that our knower knows. The Holy Spirit always bears witness with the truth. He is himself the spirit of truth who leads into all truth. We cannot know truth apart from knowing Christ. You will believe what everybody else has to say. The only way to know what is true is to know Christ. Now let's look at our opening scripture again. 2 John verses 1 through 3. But let's expand how we see the word truth. The elder, John, unto the elect lady, the lady pastor and her church, whom I love in the truth. Jesus as truth. I love this lady pastor in Jesus, in the truth of who he is. And not I only, but all they that have known the truth. What is this truth? Jesus 
as truth. Both. We used to say a lot of times, I love you in the Lord, which usually meant I don't really like you, <laughs> but I do love you in the Lord. <laughs> that knowing. It's that knowing that when you know another believer and, you're, and you, you have that love, and maybe you haven't even known them very long, but you're like, oh, I just love you. And it's because we can see Jesus in them. And so that's what he's talking about. The Jesus in you is the truth that he was talking about. And then he says in verse 2, for the truth's sake. We could say, on account of Jesus, who is the truth, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Love that. On account of Jesus being the truth, and the truth dwells in us, and he lives in there forever. Period. He lives in us forever. Period. No matter what we do, no matter how stupid we are, he lives in us forever. Period. Because there's a spiritual reality that says that is the truth. And our Father says that that is the truth. It goes on. Because of Jesus and him being the truth, he wants us to know that grace will be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. The phrase, in truth and love, according to Greek scholars, is to be applied to the entire sentence, not just the last phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. In English, we would better understand it if they had put it at the beginning of the sentence. Because <laughs> that's the way we would, we would do it. So it would be, in truth and love, grace be with you. Grace, and the be with you means to accompany with. In other words, God's grace, God's favor, God's kindness, absolutely free loving kindness, that is going to accompany you in your life. And not only that, but mercy and peace. I love the word mercy. Mercy is not God not spanking you. <laughs> That's not what mercy is. The word mercy would be better translated compassion. Co-passion. It means the love that suffers with us and refuses to leave us in our suffering. That's what compassion is. That's who Jesus is. He suffers when we suffer. And he enters into our situation to alleviate the suffering. God hates suffering. Suffering does us no good. <laughs> he hates suffering. So he says, because of the truth of who Jesus is, not only do you get this free favor, you get his compassion. And because of his free favor and his compassion, you have peace. Peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I had a friend who was having some difficulties. She and her husband were having marital problems. And so they were trying to talk it out for days. <laughs> for days and days and days and days and days. She would not let him off the hook, so to speak, until they settled whatever their issue was. She said, I can't live like this. I have to have peace. And I, that's the way I am too. If something is bothering me, oh, I've got to take it to Jesus I don't care if I need to go in my room for several days. I need to be in peace. I refuse to live in chaos. I refuse to live in fear. I refuse. And we need to. Because of this grace and this mercy, we should have peace. And if we don't have peace, we need to take it to the Lord and hear the truth. Because when you hear the truth of God, it always brings peace. Grace and mercy and peace can only be apprehended and experienced when we know the truth and the love of the Father.
to the truth and love of Jesus, his son. Those two things cannot be separated. We cannot know the Father apart from his son. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. There is no knowing God apart from Jesus. And if this lady pastor were to allow any of these false teachers to come in and minister at her house church, it would greatly damage the faith of her children, the disciples in her congregation. So he's being very stern with about what she's asking about, about these teachers, you know. Both the Gnostics and the Jewish teachers would want to preach and teach some form of works equals merit, salvation for her church. See, if you're a Jew, you're even contemplating that Jesus might be the Messiah, but you don't believe he's the Son of God. We don't want to know what you have to say. (laughs) Because even though you know the truth of God in the Old Covenant, you need to know the truth of Jesus Christ in the New. Otherwise, you're going to put people right back under works, right back under condemnation, and they'll not have any peace. The Gnostics, same kind of thing. They would emphasize mystical experiences and angel worship as a means of working themselves up to God through special secret knowledge gained through their spiritual experiences. Nowadays, I get emails from believers who want to teach me to have a relationship with angels because that will make me more spiritual. Let me see. I have a one-to-one relationship with the God of the universe, and you want me to waste my time talking to angels. Why? So that you're impressed? (laughs) No thanks. (laughs) We don't need to be talking to angels. If God sends you one, it means you're in a really bad place. (laughs) When did an angel come to Jesus? The night before his crucifixion. When did an angel come to Paul? He's in the sea in the middle of for two weeks. Um, really need an angel? No thanks. I'd rather just stay safe and not need an angel. Thank you very much. I have the Holy Spirit. I have God in his fullness. I don't need angels to intercede for me or to be my helper. I have the helper. God himself, the Holy Spirit. I don't need angels. (laughs) This stuff is still here. After all of these thousands of years, this stuff is still here and it's still creeping into the church. In other words, the Gnostics believed that they had no real need for Jesus as the Son of God. The Gnostics believed all physical bodies were evil. And therefore, if Jesus was really human, he could in no way be divine. And if he's not divine, he can't be our intermediary with God. So they were therefore called anti-Christ and anti-Jesus. Now the Jewish teachers would fall into the same lie that works equal salvation or merit salvation, they didn't believe that they needed Jesus either. (laughs) As long as there was a temple nearby and some lambs available, they didn't need a Jesus. They could save themselves through the Old Covenant, which, of course, was not true. They wouldn't have been anti-Christ, but they would have definitely been anti-Jesus as the Christ. The fact that the Apostle John calls her the elect lady is probably an indication that she had a Jewish background. You see in Scripture very often when you're talking about the Old Covenant believers, they're called the elect. We don't really see too much of that in the New Testament, but Jesus is the elect. Jesus is the chosen. And all of us who are in Jesus are chosen. One of the ways you can also translate elect is favorite. (laughs) Yes, I am God's favorite. Yes, all of us are in Christ and we are his favorites. This may explain why she might be asked the apostle 
John about these leaders, about letting them in. It could be a brother-in-law wants to come minister. <laughs> we don't know a lot of the backstory. We don't know who it is that wants them to let her come and minister at her church. There were, like say, Jewish teachers that taught for money. And because she is called the elect lady, she probably has money. And if she's the pastor of the church, <laughs> you might be able to make a good living going to her church and ministering. <laughs> so that's part of the background that scholars have made educated guesses. We really don't know, but this does really seem to all fit. And of course, that would make her a target. If she has social connections and finances, that would make her a target for everybody who's looking for a way to make money and to denounce Jesus. A lot of this information is speculation, but it's based on history that really existed. We do have to kind of look into the story and see the fullness there. We do see a stern warning from the apostle regarding these possible teachers in verses 7 through 11. I have that for you in the ESV version. It's just easier to read. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is, a, is the deceiver and the antichrist. This is pointing to a Gnostic belief. If Jesus came in the flesh, there's no way he can be God. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. We're going to come back to that. Everyone who goes on ahead or goes contrary to the truth, or misses the point entirely, <laughs> does not abide in the teaching of Christ and does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And this, of course, points to a Judaism teacher. Somebody who says, no, we can go to the Father without him. We don't need him. It's a lie. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, this is a pretty strong warning. The Apostle John is very clear that anyone who is anti-Christ or anti-Jesus is not of God and has no part of God. And he didn't want these teachers disturbing her children, her disciples, with the wicked lies that they can get to God some other way other than Jesus and grace. It doesn't matter if the works required by these systems of self-salvation are the spiritual mystic ladders of angel worship or the religious law-keeping and temple worship. The end is the same. No Jesus. And no Jesus means no truth. And no Jesus means no love. And no Jesus means no Father God. And no Jesus means you cannot access the grace, mercy, and peace that God has already provided for us. The lies, lies have the power to frustrate a believer's faith in the truth and love that are found only in Jesus and his Father. Lies within our heart can keep us from walking in all that God wants us to have. He wants us living in his grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from knowing the truth and love that are found only in Jesus and our Father. Now, there are a few verses I skipped over. I'm going to go back to those. The easy-to-read version is not my favorite version when it comes to uh, doctrine, as far as understanding. <laughs> they don't always get it right, but sometimes they nail certain things on the head. I was like, that's funny. I like that. <laughs> so I have it for you in the, in the easy-to-read version. It says this. I was very happy to learn about some of your children. 
I'm happy that they are following the way of truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I tell you, you should all love each other. This is not a new command. It is the same command we had from the beginning. And loving means living the way God commanded us to live. And God's command is this, that you live a life of love. That you live a life of love. You heard this command from the beginning. I picked at this particular translation because of that sentence, that you live a life of love. That is our calling, every one of us, to live a life of love. After the Apostle John reminds her in his greeting that the truth, Jesus himself, is with us forever, I love that, and that through truth and love, we can also rest in grace, mercy, and peace. He transitions into the topic of living in agape love. He says he recognizes that some of her children are walking in the truth. Then he reminds her that this truth, this Jesus truth, is always accompanied by agape love. Not just any kind of love, but agape love. Self-sacrificing love. Not that what's in it for me kind of love. The truth is, truth doesn't exist by itself. It exists within the reality of God's love. God is truth and love. So true love doesn't lie. It doesn't deceive. You don't sacrifice truth in order to do love. That was her challenge. If I love these people, if I want to win them to Jesus, why don't I just let them come in my church? <laughs> Perhaps we can minister to them. Ah, he's like, no. No, no, no. Love doesn't sacrifice truth for the sake of doing love. Love rejoices with the truth and not with falsehood. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye agape love one another, as I have agape loved you, that ye also agape love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that if ye have agape love one to another. He doesn't say they're going to know that you're my disciples by how much scripture you know or how much you do at the church or any other thing. He says people will know the truth of who I am when they see me through love in you. What I love about this particular word commandment, it's not the word for the law. It does not come from nomas, which is the Old Testament law. It's the word intole. I love the word intole. <laughs> in the Strong's, it means injunction. That is an authoritative prescription. I love that. Why do we get prescriptions? Because something's wrong, and we need it fixed. We need it healed. He says, let me give you an authoritative prescription. Whatever is wrong, you need to apply love. You need to apply agape love. The Apostle John isn't commanding that this lady do love <laughs> like it's an order. <laughs> You need to change things, lady. Do love. No. He's prescribing like a medicine what to apply to her life and to the ministry to her children or her disciples. Love. Agape love. Self-sacrificial love. Now, this is important to remember considering he goes on to tell her not even to greet the false teachers, much less participate or support anything they are doing. Now, at first, that doesn't sound like a very loving way to treat false teachers. <laughs> How are we going to want them to Jesus if we don't let them come in? <laughs> but the Apostle John knows the deadliness of lies. 
and how lies can destroy the faith, freedom, and lives of believers. He knows we can't afford to consider falsehood as benign. It is the truth in and through the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us free in reality. And that's where we find the love of God in Christ. Love does not stand by and let the wolves come and devour the sheep. <laughs> love always protects. Love is wise. So it appears that the Apostle John is commending her on the fact that her children or church members are walking the truth of who Jesus is. But that she needs to also remember that truth without love isn't the entire truth. It's truth and love that express who our Father is. One of the verses that sometimes bothers believers is one that I skipped over that I would come back to, and that's verse 8, which says this. This is the ERV. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And the same thing in the King James says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. The fact that the Apostle John uses the word wrought which means to work or to labor for, lets us know he's not talking about our salvation. Although some theologians will try to point believers in that direction. What is it that both the apostle and the lady both work for and labor at? These are two ministers. This is like a, a bishop and a pastor. The overseer and his charge. He says, watch yourselves. Why? Don't let the false teachers come in and disturb your sheep. Don't let people come in and teach your people bad things. <laughs> he says, why? Why? <laughs> he, he says, there's a reward if we are careful. There's a reward for walking in love. There's a reward for walking in the truth. And what is that reward? That all of the children walk in truth and love. You see, the reward for a minister isn't a paycheck. Let me tell you this. I would not do this for money. <laughs> we do this for love love of Christ, and love of the family. Our reward for ministry is you. Seeing you guys walk in freedom and in love, knowing that nothing I do will ever separate me from the Father or my Jesus or my Holy Spirit ever again. That changes us and enables us to shine the light of Christ through us. Oh, well, that's the reward he's talking about. It has nothing to do with being saved. <laughs> In verse 3, this is where I started the message. Grace be with you, accompanies you. Mercy, God's suffering love and remedy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. It is this, because of our Father's great love, agape love, that he sent the truth. We can't know what truth is apart from Jesus. We don't have the ability apart from Jesus to know and understand what truth really is. The reason, he, the reason he sent Jesus is so that we could know the reality of his love and the reality of who he really is. It is funny that we cannot know the Father. The only way we know the Father is that we have Jesus to look at. He's the one that breaks all the religious molds, <laughs> to touching lepers, talking to women <laughs> at wells. <laughs> He broke all of the molds because of his great love. He came to show us just how much the Father loved us and what he was really, really like. 
So we cannot know our Father apart from Jesus, and we cannot know our Jesus apart from the truth of his word and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our Father wants us to live in his grace, his absolutely free loving kindness through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our Father has provided everything we need for life and godliness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So what keeps us from walking in everything he has provided? Lies, falsehoods, stuff in our head that's just not true. We believe the lies of the enemy. We believe what our bodies tell us. We believe what our emotions tell us. We believe what our past tells us. We believe all sorts of things that just aren't true. And it's the power of these lies that affect our faith. And it is through faith that we apprehend all the promises. For years, I thought my problem was sin. If I could just conquer this sin, Jesus. <laughs> if I could just be different. I always thought my problem was sin. Look, you're failing here, and look, you're failing there, and look, you lost your temper over there. What's the matter with you? Why aren't you being patient? God, sin is a terrible problem. God, why aren't you fixing me? That's what so much of the church believed. My problem is sin. No, before you came to Jesus, your problem was sin. Since then, your problem are the lies you believe. If Satan can get us chasing our tail trying to get rid of sin, <laughs> Jesus already got rid of sin. He took us to the cross with him. Sin has been conquered. Satan is a defeated foe. He's not the problem. Sin is not the problem. And you say, well, then why do I keep doing it? Because you don't believe something that's true. You're believing a lie about yourself. You're believing a lie about your Savior. You're believing a lie. It is the lies that destroy our lives, not Satan and not sin. See, but if you can keep those Christians busy <laughs> trying to get rid of sin all day long, you can keep them from being effective. How are we effective? How will they know that we are his disciple? By walking in love. And there's an easy way to decide if something is love. Is it good for somebody else? The lady pastor, she could have said, well, it would be good for this man if I paid him and I got to minister to him. All these good reasons why I'm going to love him. Is that good for him? No. <laughs> it's good for him to know Jesus Christ. It's good for him to know the truth. Love does what's best for somebody else. Do you remember Sunday school where they told you what joy was? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. You see, it's like Michelle said earlier, we don't have to take care of ourselves. <laughs> we have to entrust ourselves to the one who takes care of us. Love simply says, what's best for somebody else? And that's how the world will know that Jesus is real. Not by our scriptures. Eventually they'll get there, though. <laughs> but when the light of God's love shines through us to others, that's when we can speak into their lives. You see this Jesus? You see this life? You see this, this truth? Let me tell you how you can have him too. Love makes all the difference. And what's really awesome about this is that we don't have to manufacture it. <laughs> we can't manufacture love. He gives it to us as a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So all we have to do is, Father, help me love them. Love is a choice. Because you can love enemies. That's a choice. <laughs> we can choose to love putting other people first so that the world can see the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? 
Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of who you are, that you are truth, that we get to see truth. And so much of the world is blind. They're blind to your love. They're blind to your goodness. They're blind to the reality of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, they are seeking your hand. They are seeking what you can do for them, but they haven't yet come to the reality that they can have you. They want the blessing. And they don't know what their heart wants your love. It is only your love that heals us and makes us whole. It is only your love and your truth that transforms us. Father God, we thank you. We thank you so much for this great gift of love and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.